I've got kids, and that means it's always about them. But I need support too. That's where Ollie comes in with their delightful, hardworking gummies. My partner and I can actually get a good night's sleep, so we'll both stand a chance of managing our stress responses. Even when the kids are doing parkour in the living room, discover Ollie vitamins and supplements. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to this lunch break edition of Happy Chemicals. I'm your host, Chris Rivera, and uh, I want to talk about where we are and where we're going, which is a big question. This fits into the existential category. If you haven't been keeping up lately, I've been focusing on what are my kind of core avenues or paths that I want to talk about on this podcast and on my Substack at happychemicals.substack.com is uh, three three areas: mental wellness, which is typically more of a past orientation, more about mourning and healing, and uh, you know things with our parents and our past and timeline stuff. Then we've got philosophy, which is more of like where we are, how do we navigate the world now, how am I, uh, what principles am I kind of abiding by, and sometimes that fits personality, how to navigate our existing happy chemical feelings and like attuning to who we are and where we are and what we're experiencing. And then there's existential, which is asking the big picture questions about like, where is everything going? Where is uh, technology going? our society in terms of social stuff, political stuff, um, trying to ponder some of those questions. And so for me, this fits into the existential category of where are we and where we're going. I've been reading this book called The Fourth Turning is Here, and The Fourth Turning is in reference to generational theory. It's an element of generational theory. And generational theory is this idea that with each passing generation, there is a turning within what is called a seculum, or like kind of an era of history. And after that 80 to 100 year era, or seculum, there's basically a new world that forms, in a sense, or an evolution of society. And this is all based on Anglo-American history, so specifically the foundation of America and those sort of main figures and the, the sort of top level generalizations. Though in the book, and the fourth turning is here, Neil Howe, who's the writer, he's also a demographer working in D.C., and he works in economics and consults and all this stuff. He goes into incredible detail about history in relative to these sort of big moments or big crises in history, the American Revolution, the Civil War, World War II, and then whatever's coming next, speculating a little bit on what where we're headed. And so generational theory is about these big-picture seculums, and then within those seculums are four turnings. Each turning sort of moves things in a general direction, but each one has its own social mood in a sense, right? The first one is spring, or sometimes called the high. Uh, not sometimes. It is called the high relative to generational theory. And it's post-crisis, post-war. It's like, all right, all the possibilities are awakening. There's there's new excitement. There's new fervor new building, reestablishing institutions, stuff like that. Uh, The next one is the uh, awakening, which is usually more of a cultural high, where kids are rebelling against institutions. They're starting to, it's the summer of this four seasons, and they're starting to question culture and trying to be, and be more individualist and really 
taking advantage of the institutions that had been built during the high and the crisis. Then the third one, the third turning is called the unraveling, which is in the autumn and is this starting to really take from the system more than the system is able to provide. So it's starting to be the fall of the previous saculum slowly. And there's more movement, there's more energy, there's more taking, and um, starting to question how this is all working. And then we've got the fourth turning, which is the crisis era, which is the, uh, the winter, generational winter. And just like in winter, you know, there's no more crops. We have to start thinking about battening down the hatches, staying warm, and making it through the, the season. And sometimes it's like when you run out of resources, you need to find resources somewhere else. So there can be interpersonal conflict and stuff like that that happens. So there's been civil wars, there's been, you know, the American Revolution, things like that. We're currently in a crisis season, which was marked by the 2008 financial crisis. The uh, 9-11 in 2001 was sort of the, the precursor. It was the, the, the setting the tone. <clears throat> and then 2008 was like, oh, suddenly there's this shift towards <clears throat> like awareness of the greed of, of people and entrepreneurs and, and systems and taking advantage of, um, you know, uh, starting to examine not only ethics, but our collective shadow as a nation uh, people's personal shadows, and then, you know, started going down the rabbit hole of, of almost like getting rid of the middleman and creating more egalitarian systems, like the ability for musicians to post anything on Spotify, essentially, like you don't have to go through an agent anymore, though that still helps. <clears throat> um, and, you know, things like, uh, um, cancel culture emerged, um, uh, a lot of, basically that's when like this major split really started to happen between people who are fighting for the existing system and people who want a future new sort of thing. Right. So the reason I really wanted to dive into like this, where we are and where we're going is that, uh, I've been really tapping into what my friend Jonathan has pointed out to me as having shepherd energy. <laughs> um, and, and Molly pointed out yesterday, it's like, well, in essence, that's really like, you're really good at knowing where we are and where we're going. And quite in a literal sense, like I'm good at direction and navigation, but I also tend to have a sense of, of the big picture ideas of where things are going in terms of, um, you know, these ideas like generational theory and spiral dynamics and these like kind of big picture developmental movement things. And then relative to myself, like I, I pretty much have a, I usually have a good sense of where I am, like the superposition of my developmental growth. I usually have a pretty good sense of that. Now it's always relative to stuff. So I have to use my INTP-ness, my, my introverted thinking-ness to, uh, to analyze the relativity of where I am, right? So it includes something like generational theory or spiral dynamics or integral theory or the stages model or the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs. And usually like the more models I have and the better I understand them all, the more that I can identify where I am and then where things are going. Not necessarily in a predestined sense, but sort of the framework of the patterns because we're humans and we react to things in a almost counterbalanced way. 
Like it's just this bigger organism wave of humanity that we're a part of, even if we have free will within that, we're still being very much uh, guided by the culture and the social needs of the time and how that reflects our individual needs, right? So as much as we feel like we're individualist free thinkers, <laughs> you know, we're very much influenced by everything that we experience and our perception of reality. So the only thing that I feel like I can do really well as an INTP is that whatever thoughts that come in my mind, to not get attached to them and to question them. That's the thing that I feel like I've been good at my entire life. And that's the gift that I feel like I bring. And that's what I want to support INTPs in bringing as well, is this gift of saying like, okay, well, I'm taking on all this specific information from this specific like religion or political party or, you know, belief about something. How can I then make sure I get the full picture so that I can actually deduce and select the thoughts that are of highest value to me and not just something I'm defaulting to, right? Even when you like listen to this podcast and you hear me talk about my mental health and stuff, I, I hope that I'm not the only source of information that you're getting because I'm not really talking about information. I'm just philosophizing and sharing my my organized thoughts and experience, right? It's like I take thoughts that exist outside of myself, bring them into my own mind, and then I organize them into a way that I would like to arrange them and communicate them, right? So it's not that I have the thoughts, it's that I'm organizing thoughts. And in, in, in the sense that I, I, thoughts are kind of like their own creature. It's, it's, there's this, there's multiple ideas in like the supernatural world of like thought forms that the more that a collective thinks that something is true, they make it true, which even comes to the idea of like, um, <clears throat> like instruments to measure supernatural things. It might not mean that the supernatural thing exists, but the, the brainwave, the collective brainwaves can almost like manipulate the technology to show the thing to reinforce that belief, right? So we're constantly reinforcing beliefs, uh, whether that's manifesting things materially or, or through, you know, continuous communication and, uh, focusing on it in a way. It's like, if you focus on a target, you're going to hit it. Even if that target is something you're trying to avoid right? <laughs> That's why being anti-something doesn't usually work very well. You're still focused on that. Uh, so ultimately letting go is the thing. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but the idea here is that, um, where we are in terms of generational theory is that, uh, the 2008 financial crisis was a big moment. And then 2016 election cycles were another big moment that galvanized people into this, like this collective unit of movement. And you could say the pandemic was maybe like a false start version of that. That still created a lot of fervor, but it wasn't mass mobilization. It was almost mass immobilization, or at least the attempt at it. So it was, um, you know, something to think about in terms of um, this sort of like almost revving of the engine. Like we start to get going and then, you know, kind of calm down. But at some point the engine's going to turn on, right? Uh, for World War II, Pearl Harbor was a big catalytic moment for America. Um, for other countries, it started sooner. Of course, there were different catalysts. And in terms of a worldwide scale, like 
the generational theory is starting to catalyze or, or what's the word? Um, starting to form around different countries as well, even though the timetables are slightly different. You know, the book, The Fourth Turning is Here, goes into much more detail. But <clears throat> the idea being that that uh, there's patterns throughout history. You know, so if, if there's this section of the book that goes into, it, it's called the, something about the winter. I forget what it's actually called. Let me just, I got the book right here. Let me, I'm in that section. Let me just see what it's called. It is called, actually, no, that's the last section. Your page is turning. The Winter Chronology. So and it's this entire section relative to describing each winter. So it's not just the big events that we think about with the Civil War and, uh, you know, the, the Emancipation Proclamation and all those things, but like a lot more detail with a lot more dates and names and things like that. Starting from as far back as the War of the Roses in England to the Glorious Revolution, how that impacted America, then the American Revolution, the Civil War, World War II, and then what we're heading towards now. Timing-wise, you know, um, major crises moment, like catalyst, would be within the next 10 years. I think it's going to be somewhere between three to five years. We've got an election in 2024, might be halfway through that. Uh, not really sure. The idea here is to, like, to know that these are cycles, right? So after a crisis, we cycle back into a high. And when we cycle back into a high, it creates, you know, new optimism, new possibilities, new height, etc. So yes, there's, it's going to be like a batten down the hatches thing, but I don't think it's anything that our current generations aren't prepared for. I think there's a, you know, millennials, for example, we've endured a lot. And I think like we can endure more, right? So endurance is a certain quality that I think millennials have that isn't given enough credit. Uh, you know, Gen Xers have resilience, they have toughness, and baby boomers have ideals. They have uh, a way to focus, um, to, to speak to what is, is the future ideals, as much as it's doesn't feel that way right now. Um, that's like their almost generational archetype. And each generation does have an archetype. The baby boomers, the equivalent of those babies born in spring, have the prophet archetype, like prophesizing archetype, and, you know, speaking ideals into the air, like what they want, and usually people galvanize around them. And uh, Gen X has the nomad archetype. They are individualist, they are resilient, they are tough, they are, you know, they want to be at the top of the charts. <laughs> um, they were born in the awakening and typically abandoned children. And then we've got millennials that were born in the 80s during the unraveling that uh, hit, fit the hero archetype. The hero archetype is those that you know, they, they rally around each other, they build new community, they, they rebuild the structures, and uh, we, you know, carry out the visions of the future, of what things are going to look like. And then we've got the, uh, the crisis generation, which is Gen Z, and they were born during, you know, now, 
the crisis time. There's no end point yet. We're still in it. And they're essentially, they're called the artist's generation as uh, the archetype. And that means they're going to tell the stories of the time period, and they're going to carry out the ideals that we all kind of, that we all galvanize around. And so what's really interesting about this time period is that even though we're divisive, we're getting closer to really knowing where everyone stands. And then knowing where everyone stands means that we can actually start to fuse those ideas together. We can figure out what's what's worth keeping going forward and what we need to let go for our survival. <clears throat> and that's kind of what the galvanizing moment does. It's like, okay, well, we don't have time to like keep fighting about this. We have to pick stuff and we have to go forward, right? And that's what those moments really bring. So, you know, there's geopolitical stuff happening around the world. There's various countries that uh, are, you know, there's Russia and Ukraine. There's North Korea has some some geopolitical tectonic plates moving, you know, China, uh, Syria, uh, you know, not to mention Afghanistan and those areas. You know, there's a lot of things moving and happening. And then South America has been having all sorts of things happening for a very long time. So it's just a lot of things end up coming to a head all at the same time. And that's kind of what World War II was. It wasn't this, like, everyone fighting... Um, in a localized area, it was just stuff happened. It was a lot of mobilization. It was a lot of movement and trying to redraw lines, trying to redraw ideals, trying to figure out the next steps. And so <clears throat> for me, that's signaling that, you know, the, the previous era has run its course. And, you know, I think we all have a sense that if we continue on this path, it's going to go into a not great place. The thing about the saculum, about the turnings, is that it just doesn't. And that's a strange relief to know that, like, there is a catalyst point. <clears throat> that it doesn't just go on forever. Because I think that's what a lot of people feel, is that, like, we're going to keep going into some sort of dystopian whatever, right? It's going to just go, go, go until everything burns to the ground. You know, jokes about dumpster fires and all of that stuff. Like, I don't think it's going to be that. I think we're going to hit a point where we have to make some decisions and we're going to make some big picture choices that are going to last the next 80 to 100 years and we're going to galvanize and there will be some sense of un unity <clears throat> and you know needing to almost sober up as a result of it and then like everyone calms down so you know to me there is um there's, there's a sense of optimism that comes from that, even though there's going to be, you know, it gets worse before it gets better kind of thing. And I think that's been a theme of this podcast is like, I've talked about my mental health stories and it's like, it always gets worse before it gets better. And these are cycles though. And these cycles are a sense of hope that there is like a better feeling on the other side of it. Just as when you're having a terrible mental health crash. It's like, you're not going to be like that forever. You're not going to be stuck in bed forever because your chemicals are moving and shifting and changing. Um, and if you do stay like that forever, then things will crash, right? There's no, there's no guarantee of success in terms of moving into the next cycle, but usually there are enough, uh, signals and signs and things that like force movement to happen, right? 
And, and that's just kind of the nature of things. And so there's another element of this is like the spiral dynamics of it all. And that might be a little too much to explain. But I think where we are in terms of what we're fighting for, potentially, is that the 2008 crisis and also uh, the... I think 9-11 signaled almost like the end of the previous era of, you know, rebelling against American economy because, like, the World Trade Center was the economic center. And then we had the financial crash in 2008. And as a result of that crash, the mood changed, like I said before, to thinking more about greenifying the world, about, you know, dealing with excesses and dealing with our collective shadow as, you know, what what it took to build this country and dealing with what it took to get to where we are and reconciling with some relationships to our own personal history that our, our heroes were not necessarily this idealistic fantasy in our personal lives. Sometimes that means our parents, right? Reconciling with the fact that our parents are people. Reconciling that our founding fathers, quote-unquote, were people who were like dealing with the norms of their time and that throughout history we're consistently dealing with the norms of our time. And now we're dealing with the norms of our time just as in the future, they will judge us for what we're dealing with and say, like, how could they think that? How could they do that? Why would they cancel people? Why would they, uh, you know, why would they hate trans people? Why would they, you know, all of these, like, things that would be normal in a couple hundred years that, you know, we're arguing about now and fighting about now. What's interesting about today, too, is that because of technology and the way that we've developed through the spiral, that... We've had a lot of almost like proxy wars. If it wasn't for social media, there probably would have been physical fighting by now. Or, you know, it, it might not have created the opportunity to have as much fervor as we do have. So it might be paradoxical in that sense. But either way, it creates an opportunity for us to kind of deal with our shadows as an archetypal collective. You know, especially with these two sides that are very much like triggered by each other. Like, when you're triggered by each other and you have exposure to things that remind you of yourself, then you really get to know what your identity actually is. You get to know what you've repressed. I think some of the things that America has repressed is prejudice in general. The idea that we could, that like being a bad person means that you are being a prejudiced person. And that's like what both sides are doing. They're very much prejudiced against each other and against other people or pointing out prejudices that they have against other people. And then I also think that there's a class-based thing that we don't talk about in favor of talking about racial, racial things. We end up talking, uh, ignoring the, um, the economic side of things that, you know, on the liberal side, there's, uh, educated, wealthier, typically white kids that are, you know, trying to hold the fort for social justice, where on the Republican side, the conservative side, you've got uneducated, more of like the coal miner, steel worker kind of vibe and, um, who are resilient and, and tough on a physical sense and, you know, sees the other side as weak. So they, 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 they almost represent these two sides of, um, sensitivity and resilience 
and the galvanized center is is both is is the term anti fragility uh I wish there was a better term for that, but it's this idea of of not being so sensitive that you just like fold at anything, but then also not being so resilient that you should become brittle and inflexible and you know hopefully this idea is what we end up landing on so <clears throat> I think that's really what we're championing next, right? Is like expanded identities, expanded possibilities, uh, new technologies, emergent technology, solar, regenerative economy, regenerative, um, power energy sources. I mean, we might discover a new element or something that changes the game, uh, new discoveries, new possibilities, new systems thinking. And I, I wrote a tweet. You should probably just go read that because it's, it's a lot more than I want to talk about here, but I wrote a tweet that breaks down each generational crisis and how that connects to spiral dynamics and how each leader of each crisis has been someone that has had to reach up or be at a level that is beyond the ideals to usher in the next territory. So, you know, during World War II, like, there was a lot of traditionalist fighting over the uh, fascist nationalism of, of countries, Germany, Italian, uh, Italy, um, you know, we had these basically representatives of individual ideals and countries and ethnocentricities. <clears throat> and what ended up winning the day was the collective uh, unity of, of um, the ideal collective, like representing the ideal of merged nations, creating the United Nations, creating, um, eventually creating these sort of world spanning ideals that, um, led to a cooperative sort of victory. So reaching up into green, which was a later worldview that was not collectively known or seen yet. And then that carried out in the awakening with, uh, the sixties and the, the consciousness revolution and stuff like that of starting to move into like green ideals, even though the country as a whole, the base of the country was still very orange, modernist, uh, economic focused, becoming more esoteric around economy and vague and stuff like, and, and, and vague about how, you know, removing the gold standard and, um, having less of a tether to physical reality, but was more about mental and materialism and chemicals and, uh, stuff and, and, uh, consumerism and all of that stuff. And as a result of both working through that and the consciousness revolution on the one side of it, that's where we get these new kind of green ideals of going towards the future of, you know, kids of the consciousness revolution, the young kids of the consciousness revolution, and then our kids, the Gen Z kids that are basically parroting our ideals <laughs> and, and, um, you know, all of that sort of galvanizes as one big collective unit of sides. And then hopefully that eventually merges into a new collective American identity as well. So, you know, the idea here is that the, the ideas that we're, we're 
merging these two ideas is that like you can't just be completely progressive and you can't just be completely conservative. If you're just completely conservative, then you just stall every idea and you never make any progress. And if you just completely go towards progress, then you have no foundation and you leave behind what you've already built, right? So you can't make further progress. That ends up uh, being a paradox unto itself. So these two things need each other and we need those things within ourselves. Like I was saying with sensitivity versus resilience, the integration of the two is this anti-fragility. It's this ability to pull things together so that we can flex and flow. Survival of the fittest is not about strength. It's about adaptability. So being more flexible, being more adaptable, being more um, serving of multiple worldviews and ways of being, right? So it's not just about identities that has been mostly the conversation, but it's about like, how does someone who is a steel worker, undereducated, still have a contribution to society? How does someone who is an academic have a path through to society that actually has a paying job on the other side of it? How does someone who is um, how does someone who is like in a trailer park, like contributing to society <clears throat> or having some way to do that, right? Like there, or, or some way for them to be moved through the spiral in a way that's like natural and healthy and effective, you know? So it, it's, it's, uh, just as world war two had leaders who galvanized a green ideal to move forward. I think the next leader or leaders is going to be someone or someones who is making choices on behalf of the collective. That's someone who is willing to take an integral approach or a spiral dynamics yellow approach and basically say that everyone's right and everyone's wrong and being willing to make the integral, the integrated choice, the anti-fragility choice that isn't just pandering to one side or the other, but finds a way to satisfy everyone in some way or another. Not everyone's going to be happy. But find ways to keep people focused again, to get them involved, to focus the energy towards uh, new technologies and a new future and a new sense of meaning and a new sense of purpose. Inspired by the life of the savvy and ambitious Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco comes a new Netflix original limited series. Griselda tells the story of a devoted mother who, with her lethal blend of charm and relentless savagery, creates one of the most powerful cartels in history. Witness Sofia Vergara's captivating transformation into the godmother of the underworld. Griselda, now streaming only on Netflix. So this about wraps another episode of Happy Chemicals. Thank you for listening. Uh, I really wanted to cover this big picture stuff. At least it's one framework to attempt to understand what's going on. To Because like for me, I think clarity is important. I have three main focuses that I like to keep as core principles. It's, it's seek and support clarity, seek and support sovereignty, and curiosity over judgment. And when I can focus on those things, I feel like I can steady myself and I can figure out how to go forward. And so I hope this creates a little bit of clarity for you to think about, you know, how you want to eventually contribute, right? I, I think that each generation is almost preparing for this 
uh, of what Neil Howe calls the generational constellation. It's like everyone sort of is in the right place at the right time needed to tackle this event, to tackle this coming crisis moment. And so while it sounds terrifying and there will be a lot that comes from through it and from it, we're also uniquely positioned based on our almost generational programming to be able to tackle it. Like baby boomers are collecting the resources to eventually distribute them. Uh, at least that's the idea. <laughs> um, and uh, Gen Xers are working a lot on communication. They're going to be the generals of this, uh, literally generals in the military, but they are helping young millennials like develop skills and to be able to put their energy to use. Millennials are chomping at the bit and prepared for community to be able to be a part of something, to be part of a collective unit and to have a collective identity. And so we will be ready to, you know, get in the streets and do whatever is needed uh, relative to whatever our sense of community or purpose is. And then uh, Gen Z is still pretty young to actually participate, but they will be watching then they will be taking note and they will be noting who the heroes are and they will be noting what the stories are and they will be uh, eventually telling those stories. And then when the new world is being built uh, or, or recalibrated that uh, they will be running the institutions, they will be the worker bees, they will be making that happen. So, uh, or rebelling against it or starting, starting the rebellions against it, right? There's no, there's no, um, there's no exactness of everyone doing the same exact thing, uh, but generally the general tone is is what I'm saying as the the potential here. And this is all based on you know the theories of history and my own assertions. So you're certainly welcome to make your own uh, judgments of how things are going. And of course, like you know how you hear this is going to be different based on what your experience is too. So uh, share what you think, but. Please be kind. I don't want infighting on uh, the comments and stuff. I would love constructive conversation. If there's anything you have to add, or if you've seen another developmental model that might be interesting, uh, if you're reading The Fourth Turning is Here, what are you thinking of it so far? And if you haven't picked up the book, I will put a link in the description of this podcast episode for you to go check that out. And uh, he's been doing interviews and stuff on YouTube, so I'd go check out some of those too, where he goes on to a lot of interesting overviews and in depth into what not only the model is, probably better explained than I did, and um, you know his origin. Like he's been doing this for decades uh, with his his uh, writing partner Will Strauss, who has since passed. But um, you know he he's he's knee deep in this. This is his life's work. So. It's really, it's brilliant. I appreciate it. It gives me a sense of feeling a little bit in control, but uh, also knowing what to do now to like prepare myself mentally, physically, emotionally, healing. Um, and that when these times come, I'm not surprised by them. You know, you're just like, okay, this is what this is. And this is the moment. And where do we slot into relative to this moment? You know, how do we support our communities you know, as a millennial? How do I support that? And I've been trying to figure that out for myself. I'm an elder millennial. I'm 37, going to be 38 in September. Uh, and 
like what does that mean for me versus a younger millennial who is probably has more vitality in terms of their um, vitality and idealism, whereas like you know I, I have a little bit more of the Gen X practicality and. I'm uniquely positioned to be someone who has done a ton of healing and has had a lot to heal from and can offer support in that area. And uh, I don't know. I, you know, I think some of it too is like the time will tell us. When the time comes, we'll just slot into place where we slot into place, right? So, you know, keep doing your thing. Keep living your life. Keep uh, developing skills or practicing I'm not saying this to like build a bunker. <laughs> you don't have to do that, though. Sure, maybe if you want to. Um, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have some preparation in terms of like extra food if you can, or like first aid kits, stuff like that. But generally, I think it's going to be much more movement than anything that's going to happen, and. Um, connecting and relying on each other in a collective identity sense will be key to, you know, this feeling of, of survival. So yay. Happy day. So thanks for joining me on this lunchtime edition of happy chemicals. I got to get back to work, but I appreciate you listening to my ramblings. And, uh, again, if you have questions, let's go see note on Twitter or X, if you want to call it that, and uh, happychemicals.substack.com. I do some writing there as well. And you can support $7 a month there if you're really happy with what I've been offering. And uh, I hope to do some more premium stuff over there as well for those who are paid subscribers. So, um, yep, that's it. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your support and your help. And uh, I'll catch you next time on Happy Chemicals. See ya. Join me, 48 Hours Correspondent Erin Moriarty, on my podcast, My Life of Crime, as I take on true crime investigations like no other. This season, I'm looking into the labyrinth of crime and secrets within families. I'm cutting straight to the evidence and talking to the people directly involved, including investigators and the families of victims. Listen to My Life of Crime with Erin Moriarty wherever you get your podcasts.